The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I'm your host, and this is episode 19, and we have got a fantastic interview with Peter Breinholt. Peter Breinholt is a very well-known singer-songwriter, and he is taking part in the hashtag Light the World campaign. I guess it's just called the Light the World campaign, but we use hashtag Light the World, and we're going to talk about his life and then the concerts where you can actually see him as he takes part in Light the World. I have been a Peter Breinholt fan for a very long time, many years. I met Peter, oh, more than 20 years ago, uh, just very briefly met him and have followed his music and listened to his music a lot over the past 20 plus years. And I've always been a huge fan. And now that I have sat down with Peter, I'm a huge Peter Breinholt, the person fan. He is such a deep, cool, just amazing guy. In fact, I enjoyed it so much. I'm going to publicly apologize to Peter. Normally, I don't do really any editing, or I at least do very little. You just get the conversation as it is. But we had such a fantastic conversation that we actually recorded for two hours. (laughs) And I think it's my fault. I'm guiding the conversation. But I enjoyed it so thoroughly. I've edited it down to about an hour. uh, But boy, I... I could have spent several more hours with Peter. He And you'll know what I mean when you listen. He is just fantastic. So stick around for that. It's going to be excellent. And this week in my Latter-day life, as we kick off Christmas, I am going to tell you a little bit about the worst Christmas ever that became one of the best Christmases ever. Very full show for you. So thank you for joining us. And without any further ado, here is this week's conversation. Today on the Latter-day Lives podcast, uh, what, a, what a blessing it is, what a pleasure it is to have a recording star, I mean a star, <laughs> Mr. Peter Breinholt. Peter, how are you? Good. Good. Yeah. So, Peter, why don't you tell us where we are, where we're sitting right now? Oh, we're in one of my favorite places, and you're very nice to come and bring the production to me. Thrilled to be here. Because I know you record most of these down in, is it Springville or American Down Florida? in Linden, yeah. Linden, okay. Oh, yeah. Linden, okay. Yeah. Anyway, I, we couldn't make that work, and so you came up to me, and we're, we're, right now we're in um, my studio slash office above our, our garage in Holiday, and this is kind of a new, I, this is, I think uh, we've been here four years, and we built, we yeah. built this. And this it's is where awesome. it's where I spend my days, and I love it in here. I, you know, as you can see, I just tried to make you, it. You described me. It as a man cave, and it is perfect. It is such a man cave. <laughs> what I like though is it's a creative man cave. There's not a big TV. There's no TV in here. No, no. You know, so it's a truly creative, creative man cave. Yeah. We got. Uh, We've got my Simon and Garfunkel picture behind you, and. Uh, we were just talking about Simon got, and Garfunkel. I love it. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Very cool. over there and my yeah. surfboard over there. And you got, you got, so you got a surfboard back here. You've got a piano. You've got various instruments, banjo, uh, guitars. I mean, this is a creative, 
space. I may have to come over here and write sometime. Yeah, you're welcome. Because like I can feel the you're creative juices it. on this. It's <laughs> you know it's, you know. Can I tell you a funny thing? Is yeah. Um, um, I had so Tim Ballard. Some of your listeners will know yeah, who Tim Ballard sure. is. Um, and Tim and I have kind of a history. And anyway, he has he comes over once in a while, and this is we hang out in here. And very and, cool. And he loves this room. And so when he texted me once, you know, he wanted to get together. He said, "Let's meet in the upstairs room." <laughs> and I and I and and then he stopped. And he said, "You know what I'm talking about? The upstairs room. That's what I call it." <laughs> and, and he said, "It's from your song, You Wear Flowers,' where oh, I said yeah. there's music, there's music coming from the upstairs room." Whoa! And he, so he named it. He dubs this room the, the upstairs, upstairs room. room. Wow, I love that. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from, where you grew up, and kind of a little bit of your history. So I was born in uh, a suburb of Philadelphia. My dad was teaching at the University of Pennsylvania, and I was born there. And in, in uh, so this. I, some of your listeners may know the area, but but the suburb is where like Valley Forge Park yeah. is. It, it, I know that area. Yeah. yeah, King of Prussia. But it's a, it was a little town uh, by called Devon. My wife went back there once with me, and and I remember her words were "holy neighborhood," <laughs> <laughs> because it really is a beautiful neighborhood. And oh, I yeah. and just being back there, I, I called a childhood friend. I went back for a, oh, a, cool. a, a performance in Baltimore, but I rented a yeah. car and I drove up and I called one of my childhood friends who owns a sporting goods store now. And I said, can, can I, can I grab a bike or a longboard or something? I just want to go through the old neighborhood. He's cool. like, I'm, I'm, I'm coming with you. And so we spent <laughs> oh, these two guys in their late forties, we spent the day that is awesome. going through this neighborhood. And he would say, this was, this was, I loved it. He would say, he'd say, stop. Do you remember we used to cut through? Oh, this no was way. the shortcut. To, to school and and like should we do it like we're you know they might call the cops now you're jumping over fences and running through yards <laughs> yeah. and, and there weren't fences back there and now there are and 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 we oh, actually we actually did it we went up we went up into this area where we used to hang out as kids that you have to trespass now to get there yeah. and it, it's this anyway i had a, it was wonderful and it brought it kind of it made me again realize that i'm i'm a lucky kid how long did you live in in the philadelphia so area i was t- when i was 10 years old uh, i was born there and then when i was 10 years old my dad took a temporary like one semester position at the business school of the university of utah and the reason he did it is because all of our cousins were here in utah okay and i think my mom both of them Felt like, well, let's. It will be good. A little transfer them into yeah. these schools in Salt Lake. They'll have a winter there. We'll ski and then we'll go back. And my older siblings were just in. Were were in high school. Where do you fall? I'm number four or five. Four or five. Wow. Yeah. And so it, it was right at a time where my older siblings, you know, in Pennsylvania, their friends were starting to go a little crazy and. I think my parents wanted to have the experience mm. of coming here and being with cousins, and it worked so well that they just stayed. He took a permanent spot at the U, and I, you know I was not happy about it at first. But yeah. then I was actually the kid who I was the kid who resisted it the most, and then I I, I was the kid who I ultimately embraced it the most, and I'm the only one still here now. And um, so I went to high school and junior high here. Um, and 
so we grew up with this kind of my siblings and I would would always compare you know east yeah. and west east coast west coast or yeah. not coast but east and west sure and we still do, we still yeah. do a little bit so when people ask you where you're from how do you answer if they ask me where I was born or where I grew up I ha- I have to say Pennsylvania yeah. but um, if you ask me where I'm from like what my formative years yeah I, I feel like I'm a Salt Lake kid I feel like I'm right. a product of Utah gotcha. more than Pennsylvania Makes sense. Even though um, I'm, you know, I still going back just this last week. I was like, oh yeah, there's the there's a kind of, I don't know, there's a kind of Philadelphia, yeah, um, rough and tumble something there is. back there. And I and I and I, like I remember like, oh well, that's I, I have that in me a little bit still. That's so, so great. Now, do do you come from? It's is your whole family? Are are you all members of the church? Uh, on paper, yeah. Um, so my, my you come from a history of me, members meaning, of the church. Yes, yes. So both of my parents came. You know, my mom came from the George Cannon line. Oh wow! Okay. So he's my great great grandfather. Oh, very cool. And her her dad, her grandfather was the mayor of Salt Lake. I mean, but she grew up. They moved, her parents moved to San Marino, California. Oh yeah. And so she was a California girl, and they moved back for college. My dad was always uh, in Salt Lake. Um, and my dad served a mission, um, and, and then somewhere in during his graduate studies, he stopped going to church. And so I grew up mm. not going to church. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, once in a while we would, and somehow I, w- I was baptized. I, I remember mm. that we were all baptized, but we, we were we were, you know, it was like forty minutes away, and yeah. in, in back there and. It was back when they, you'd have a morning meeting, yeah, yeah. an afternoon and meeting. The, and we never Tuesday, did the both. Tuesday evening primary. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, anyway, I don't. I mentioned this in the other conversation I recently had. Yeah. I, I culturally, I, I got very little yeah. from from it. And so, when we moved out here, um, some of some of us among my siblings got interested and in, got involved with young men. Young, you know, like mutual, yeah. they called it, and some of us didn't. And so, to this day, um, I've got, you know, a couple of brothers who didn't go on missions, have never yeah. considered themselves Mormon, uh, and then I have two sisters who, you know, one served a mission, and and yeah. and and one is uh, was not active for a long time and now is and so <clears throat> we're kind of all over the map which i think is a common experience i mean that's my experience sure. and you know my dad was my bishop we were raised as active as active is and i've got a sister who's not involved in the church at all whatsoever sure. hasn't been for many years and you know so i think that's a pretty common experience that most people have yeah yeah and and i it felt rare when we moved here um but I look back at it. I look at it now, and I just feel like um, there's a kind of variety. There's kind of a, a, a you know, it's not only a diverse family, but it's it's kind of an academic family. Like, but my dad, right. who was a professor, managed to sort of you know convey that value to us as we were growing up, and so we have a, you know a lot of graduate degrees, and and so there's not only diversity of you know, of of 
faith and religion, but there's a diversity yeah. of the diversity uh, just of thought and ideas and thought. And, yeah. and so it's you know we we're all over the place when we get together at Thanksgiving. <laughs> and it's Thanksgiving this weekend, so we'll we're not getting together this week. But when we do, <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite a it's conversation. Quite a sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure I can imagine <laughs> that much education all in one room. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you the lone artist of the family? Yeah. Are well, you no, no. the artist, or do you have siblings mm. who are mm. artists? Um, I have an older brother, the one who's just 16 months older than me, and oh, we wow. were always treated like twin yeah. brothers. And he was always uh, a better student, got better grades. Um, he went into film. He got. Oh, wow. a, he okay. went to Northwestern, got a master's degree in film, and I actually scored his master's thesis project. Very cool. How neat. And then he has he moved to L.A. and has been editing films and you you know a lot of the films he's done he did guardians of the galaxy and what the happy or happy plan of happiness wow no pursuit of happiness happiness? yeah he did pixels he did great debater he's done a lot of film a lot of will smith films and um he's he's uh you know it's it's cool yeah that's neat that's so your parents must have instilled something in the kids to go out and explore uh, uh, that is when I try and describe my parents to people, that's the number one quality about them I try and explain is that they 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 really encouraged all five of their children to find their path and not just their path but find their um, their enthusiasms Gosh, things, that's awesome and and I remember at my I think it was my dad's funeral they've both passed away now mm. I described his, um, in my talk, I described his parenting style as file opening, like meaning he would kind of open a file, you know, the math file, and and and, and, ex- and expose us to, to stuff, and, and then just kind of see if it took. And then next to that is the music file, next to that is the, is, you know, the reading file or the science file. And, and he would just observe, and as we got interested, as each kid got interested in their area, he and my mom was really good at this, would uh, kind of nudge us or arm us with... What a gift. With, uh, you know, a guitar. Like my dad, when, we, when I was a junior in high school, my dad knew that music, I had taken to the music file. Yeah. And so he took me and my older brother to the guitar store. We, ha- we had been playing his guitar. We'd hammered his old Gibson and he took us and uh and he and he said you guys each I want you to each pick a guitar and oh we spent gosh. the afternoon <laughs> doing it and I wonder if mine's here no it's in the house right now what a dream experience and it was interesting because he, he, with within that let me show you let me tell you a, a, give an example of how yeah. you can be different within mm-hmm. a same similar medium so both my brother and I the same one who's in film now. We both liked music, and we both took piano lessons. And my mom told me years later, she said, I could always tell when you were practicing, even if I was in the other end of the house, I could hear it, and I could tell when it was you practicing or, or your brother practicing. And, and the reason why is that when, when your brother practiced, played, he was a little more technical, and, uh, but he was a little clunkier. Yeah. And when you played, you were a little simpler, 
and a little more like minimal, but but there was a sort of intuitive, like a, a flow about it. Yeah. And and that exact that really. So when we went and picked our guitars up, uh, when we picked out our guitars, uh, this older brother was asking questions like, "Well, what, what, what's the what wood is it made of? And yeah, how many stuff. frets? And what what, yeah. what is the sh- body shape?" And and I apparently I don't even remember, but he told this story later that I was just kind of observing and not saying anything. And finally, the salesman turned to me and was like, "Well, what do you think?" And I said, "I don't know." And I'll and I played three or four, and I just said that one, and I didn't ask any questions. And that is kind of speaks to his style and my style. And he's in a technical trade right now, editing and yeah. software. And I'm I'm a songwriter. So let's go back to you get into your teenage years. You you know you're not going to church a ton. You come out to Salt Lake at some point because you mentioned that you went on a mission. Yeah. So at some point you yeah. didn't just hey I'm going to go on a mission. I've never been to church. I, I'm yeah. going to go on a mission. What was that process? Um, I got involved when we moved out. Some you know my older brothers. Um, kind of went they kind of like gave it a try and the whole family it seems like let's give it a try and it just i fell into a friend group that 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 kind of kept me going and i think I, i do have memories of seeing older guys leave on missions and come home you know I, two years later, or in some cases, a year and a half. There was a stretch there. It was just a year and a half. And I just remember feeling like um, these guys are different. They go, they they leave one way and they come back and they're different. And mm. so that kind of got into my system at some point, this this idea. Of- so this leads you on a path to go on a mission. Were you the first of your siblings? Yes. Yeah. So how did the rest of the family react to the fact, hey, Peter's going on a mission? The reaction has, I, I, I have um, looked, it's taken on deeper meaning l- lately because, well, I'll tell you why. But I was worried that, uh, I assumed that my dad would have, like, I, th- I thought because he'd gone on a mission and then had stopped believing after, I just sort of projected onto him that he probably didn't want me to waste my time on it. But I wanted to go and I wasn't going to let. I mean, it was kind of in a way of an act of rebellion in, in my family to go. You know, like, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm, you're not going to, you got to go. You got to make your choice. I'm making my choice. Yeah. So I went, but I didn't really communicate much with him about it. But I did have you never, a, You never had a discussion with him about it. Like, no. How would you feel about me? No, going? I did with my mom. And my mom, I, was, I, I did have a, a closer relationship with my mom. Okay. And I, and I would communicate through her. And then she would, yeah. you know... And she said to me after I had my call, uh, she, I remember her saying to me, you know, your dad is um, excited about this. Wow. And I said, what, I said, what do you mean? And she said, you need to know he, he had a wonderful mission. He had a wonderful experience. Just because he, he doesn't believe it now, the experience was a formative experience for him. I look at that now and I... Like, I'm the luckiest kid ever. That was that. What a I, blessing I am, know that. Like, I love that. Yeah. And so now, what I'm finding is that as my kids are getting older, 
you know, they'll show different interests in different mm-hmm. things, and and they'll sh- they'll you know, you know, my oldest son, um, not a big fan of seminary, and I just I hear my I, like as I'm getting older, I find myself thinking, well, my dad gave me my gave me this great gift, yeah. and I'm going to do the same to him, even if it means. Uh, you know, one of my sons or one of my kids, even if it means my kids take different paths, that's yeah. just the way I was raised. And so, but I mean, it sounds like this is consistent when you talk about opening up the math file, opening up yeah. the music file, opening up the church file or the mission file. Sure. Like, Hey, that's another path. Go pursue it. Yep. Which I think, what a blessing. I mean, Peter, that's really amazing. No, I, you know, that's, I, that's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. And I, yeah, they've what, both passed away now. And I, like I feel, you know, I've, I've heard people say, like, I, I'd heard people say that, like, their relationship with their mom or their dad was even stronger after they passed away. It just seemed like a strange thing to say, but yeah. I, under, I understand it now. Like, there's a, there's a, there's a perspective, right? There's a perspective, and there's an appreciation. Yeah. Uh, and then I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm a lucky kid. Yeah, I was awesome. a lucky kid. Where'd you go on your mission? Uh, it was Chile. What was the mission? Santiago North. So at the time, there was just a Santiago South and a North. In and Santiago. For Santiago, right. Yeah, right. But, right. but you had others. Osorno, yeah. Concepcion, Antofagasta. So we both served in Chile, what, two years apart? When when did you serve? I was there from 88 to 90. 88 to 90, and I was 91 to 93 in southern Chile. So we were there right about the same yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, pretty darn close. Yes, so, you would have been there... And I don't want to bore the rest of the listeners, but uh, for those who know about um, world politics, yeah, I got there three weeks before uh, Augusto Pinochet held. You know, after thirteen, ele- fourteen oh, years of yes. being a dictator, he had a free election. And it wasn't a free election; mm-hmm. it was the plebiscite elections, which said you can you can vote uh, you can vote to keep me or vote to send yeah. me packing. Fully confident. That be, that the Chileans would vote to keep him because he yeah. had brought he had brought a lot, brought of, stability a lot of prosperity to and a lot yeah and very controversial man I'm not defending him oh for say, sure but that that's what he underestimated yeah. was the yeah. was the was was the people who hadn't forgotten the human rights violations but he also overestimated the fear quotient in people he didn't yeah. think a lot of people would stand up against him after I mean he had bombed the Right. Capital and everything right. else. Right. There's a whole movie, maybe you've seen it, a whole film about the um, the marketing campaign behind the the no. They called it the no campaign. Oh, I never saw that, no. And so it was yes yes to keep them, no to send them. And um, a, a, a series of events came together that just turned this no. Mm. And I got the, it was just, it was... It was electric, and I got down there three weeks. That's I got amazing. to wi- I got to that witness this, and incredible. he lost. Yeah, and then a year later, they had the free elections where they had candidates, and a guy named Alwyn won. So I got I, Pato. I got to see Patricio yes Alvin. yes. Yeah. I got. I feel like I got to see a little bit yeah, of, that's uh, a lot modern, of history. modern political history. That's really neat. How was your mission? It was great. It was. Um, it was. Uh, a transformative experience for me personally. Yeah. And and back to my dad, when I came home, 
Well, let me start by saying um, the first four months, uh, there was, there was a, a moment, I think, about five, month five, where I, um, I, I, I don't know how to explain it except that I, I had a, I just, um, I just had a kind of uh, change of heart. I just had a, I was kind of resisting a lot of things and, and all of a sudden, it all changed, and and then it became, and it was. I mean, I still look at that yeah. week as uh, the one of the most pivotal moments of my life, and I and I've had things happen since that I would put in the same league, but it was, the it was a spiritual awakening for me, and I, you know I, I believe there are spiritual awakenings all over the world and all sorts of religions for sure. And, yeah, I agree. And mine just happened to be when I was a Mormon missionary in in Chile, and um, from then on, the, I came home and my my parents, I think, were surprised at how I changed. I was yeah. I I'd really kind of grown up, yeah. and so I had a neighbor tell me about a month or two later that that because uh, my dad, my parent, my my dad, my parents were kind of like the project a little bit sometimes and sure i'm sure and um and and so one of the neighbors said yeah your uh, your dad told me that he is so proud of you and he loves the new you he said and he said they're not my values no the the quote was i love peter's values they're not my values but i love what they have done to him that's neat and so anyway that's really cool so you come home from your mission Came home to Salt Lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a Salt Lake guy. Yep. Where Where did that take you from there? University of Utah. Yeah. And uh, I put um, in my mind, I had put music away. I just thought um, I'm not going to come home. And my my life before the mission was a little bit chaotic in my mind. It wasn't. I was always a pretty good kid, but I. Yeah, but. Seventeen, eighteen is a rough time. Um, no, I was a little judgmental on my mission. I would look back pre-mission. I was mm-hmm. a little judge, judgy about, the, you know, the the pre-mission, and so and and music, <laughs> music had epitomized that. I mean, I had I had formed a band in high yeah. school with three other friends, and we had played the frat party circuit. We had played all of the high school stomps and dances, and we'd done really well. And I just remember coming home thinking, okay, that. That was nice. That's a nice, you know, I'm ready to be a grown up. And so I I had no intention of even really getting the band back together or, or pulling the guitar out. But when you played live the first time, going back to this high school band, mm-hmm. did you get the bug then? We loved it. Did you it. walk off stage going, This is this is as good as it gets? Yeah, and we were, and we were, we were, we were. What we were good at was um, we we knew our audience, and so we knew how to pick the songs, and we knew how to get crowd involvement. Mm, we were not awesome. the best. There were two other bands at our high school that were superior in every way musically, but we got we got the gigs because we knew our audience, and I learned a lot from that. And yes, for sure, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. What was your first band called? The Dobermans. The Dobermans. <laughs> so great. I didn't name it. We could not come up with a name. And, and uh, the guy emceeing the show just 
kind of threw that out. We said, all right. We'll run the Dobermans is a very 60s very era 60s. name. Oh, no, it, I mean, sound, it sounds like almost a British invasion yeah. 60s band. The Dobermans is a perfect name. The for Dobermans, like the only thing that would have made it better is if you would have spelled it like D-O-U-G-H-B-E-R. Because all those British <laughs> yeah, they changed bands their came spelling. out and changed the slight There's... spelling of it. Yeah, I can't. That was, that was my meaning. The meaning of, yeah. of, of, that was the meaning for my existence at, at that time. What is the quote? There's a quote about that. That's, there are two major moments in every person's life. One is the day they're born, and two is the, rea- the, the, the day they realize why. Something like mm. that. Oh, yeah. I love I that moment. That. I love that moment. I love hearing about that. But you're going to, so you're going to school. You're going to the U. You're yeah. not thinking, I'm going to be Peter Brian Holt, no. musician. No. What were you studying at the U? I was bouncing around a little bit at first. I, I did film mm. because uh, that was my other little hobby all through high yeah. school. I, I do I'd, I'd make videos for our assemblies and and uh, I but the, I didn't I didn't really I, I changed out of that. I did psychology? Did did poli sci? And then and finally I said to my dad, you know, I don't know. None of this is really clicking. And he said. What are your favorite classes right now? Of all the class, what are the ones you enjoy? And I said Spanish. Yeah. And he said major in Spanish. And I, and wow. I and I was like, you, the business professor, are telling me yeah. it's okay to major in Spanish. Probably he never said, dawned sure, on you. Why not? And so, I declared Spanish because I really I I my dad had a theory that, uh, and I don't know if this is true or not, but. Um, he had gotten his PhD in organizational behavior, which is a form of, you know, kind of psychology. And and so he had a little bit of street cred with this. He said, learning languages, he felt like there was a tie possibly between having a musical ear and a a language ear because my language... Like I fell behind, you know, when we were in the MTC because, you know, the theory wasn't making sense. Once I got down there and was walking the streets, it came very fast. And so when I came home, I did very well. I got all A's in my Spanish classes. Mm. And it meant if I majored in it, it meant I could go to Spain on a study abroad. I could go to Mexico sure. on a study abroad. And world. that sounded awesome, awesome. to me. So yeah. I ended up going on three study abroad programs. Oh, how great. And I didn't know what I was going to do with it. But during the course of that, uh, there were other guys that I was meeting who were guitar players who were getting gigs at like the you know Giuppetto's Pizza right off yeah. campus where yep. they'd sit in the corner and no matter how hard I tried to put it away when I heard that I was like I if I'm doing that if they I'm not going if they're going to do that I'm going to do that and yeah. so I started doing these little weekend shows do you remember where your first one was at Giuppetto's at Giuppetto's Giuppetto's yeah yeah, I mean, we had house concerts. Sure, where your we, first show with a flyer and a it was it was Geppettos. general public walking Geppettos. in was Geppettos. And uh, the great thing about Geppettos, no longer there, both of them. There were two locations; Geppettos they're gone both now. gone now. Yeah. One of them was around about about two blocks away from where oh, we are right really? now. Oh. That one's closed now. I didn't know that one. There's one right by campus. Yeah, that yeah. one closed first. Yeah. And and the great thing about that is that I. Like for in my mind, it was a it was. I mean, sure, it's just a guy sitting in the corner that nobody's listening to. To me, it represented the shift from being in a cover band to being a singer songwriter. You write very global themed music. Yeah. I mean, yeah, 
bigger themes and and a lot of stuff uh, kind of so I would imagine I mean you haven't been to every country in the world but no. you seem to take this global perspective on things and I don't know why music. I, I don't know why I do that but I no but it's I think it's really cool I think it's neat that you do well I thought about it once I asked myself why do I do that and because hmm. I do I yeah. do and um, I I one theory I thought once for myself was that when when I travel, I think probably everybody who travels has this happen. You step out of a kind of comfort land, mm-hmm. and you are kind of woken up in a way. If you yeah. go, you know, I spent uh, the first summer after my mission, I spent in Europe, mm. in Spain, and then backpacking around. And it's kind of like seeing the world through a baby, you know, a baby's eyes or through through a child's eyes again. First time in a country, yeah. Right. And so everything is like your senses are a little bit uh, awakened and alive. And I think it kind of jogs maybe something in you. Because a lot of those, like uh, Migrant, Mm -hmm. um, Boat to Rome, a a lot of songs later were... Me going. So now that makes sense because I, I mean I know your music fairly well. That's that now connects yeah. that part of things. Yeah, I, I you know I get a lot of times and it makes me frustrated with myself. We'll have family come to town or friends, business colleagues, whatever. They'll come to town first time in Utah, and they'll go. I just cannot stop staring at the mountains. Yeah, and I go. Gee, I think the last time I really looked at the mountains was. 2012. <laughs> yeah. I just don't. Yeah. You start to take it for granted. But when you get somewhere, first time seeing it, you know, you, you notice all those things. And here, may I, may I just add real fast? Yes. Because I think this is important. Please. Part of my, I'm jumping forward now to 2017, but um, part of what I have tried to learn, and it's been kind of a, I feel like a, a part of my, like a spiritual practice, is not waiting until I, <clears throat> go to Europe or go to South mm. America to to be to to feel myself open up in that way but to but to learn how to do that even when I'm sitting here in this ah, room that I love yeah. so there's a lot you know that, that that's I I've tried to learn that um that's and, a lot harder to do yeah so you go to the U did you end up graduating from the U yes with yeah, Spanish Spanish Along the way, you know, I meet some guys that could play instruments. And uh, so I graduate from the U. And 10 days later, I think it was, or two weeks later, I went down to this brand new studio that had opened up over in Midvale. And they gave me a deal. And with these friends that were musicians. How cool. We spent uh, two and a half days, basically, recording all these songs. And I remember um, we finished it. I remember the engineer was like digging it. This <laughs> he is was it. like, yeah. these are good songs. That's always a good sign. And um, and then I remember I went home and my, the master recording that I had was on just a tape, mm. like an analog tape. I yeah. mean, there was, that's what I went home just to listen to it. And um, this is a story that, still touches me i put it on my dresser went to sleep i was exhausted and i woke up and i could hear somebody listening to it upstairs Mm. and and it turns out my dad who was not letting on but he was so excited about this 
and he'd come in early in the morning and taken it and wanted to listen to it. Wow. Now, I didn't know about this later, and I heard it, and I got to tell you, um, when I heard it, I, I just, when I heard, heard it in the context of somebody else hearing it upstairs, I just suddenly just got so depressed. I just was like, really? What have I done? I felt exposed. I was like, he's reading my journal. That's what it felt like up there. Wow. And it, I, I was like, what have I done? This was a mistake. I went through all this like buyer's remorse. Um, but then I got over that. And, yeah. and that's when I started hearing the real feedback. But incidentally, before we move on, my mom, years later, uh, they didn't, she didn't tell me this for a long time. She said, um, your dad, um, I was there when he was listening to it, and he, he cried because he was so excited. Phenomenal. <laughs> and that always touched me. That yeah. always really touched me. And your parents just sound so. I know, so and I don't neat. mean to. I, uh, no, they sound so neat. I mean, what? But what a great example, you know, to just be supportive. Yeah. And how much it meant to you. Yeah. You know. Well, I would. I was. I was. A, I was a. Uh, I. I think I needed people around me like that. Yeah. I, I'd like to say I was fearless and full of confidence and courage. But I wasn't, and I wouldn't have done it without uh, people around me like that. So long story short, this tape starts getting passed around among my U of U friends, and it spreads like wildfire. I, I just had never seen anything like that. I started having people come up to me saying, like, I heard it. I started, I mean, I got a postcard from friends who were in France for the summer, and oh they gosh. had gotten a copy of it, and they're like, amazing. And so... The 500 tapes, we, I think we, we made 500 tapes because yeah. we got tired of <laughs> dubbing them real time. <laughs> Those were gone in a month or whatever. Yeah. And so we made the leap and did a, a CD, which, in, you know, 1993 was, yeah. it, it felt like a leap. And uh, it just like, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't marketing. People years later would be like, what, what was your... What was your secret to the to your marketing? And I, and I was like, I had no secret. I mm. it just like caught on, like it, it was just word of mouth. And it was that good. It start so it 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 was like a, a kind of a fire, like a, a brush fire. And pretty soon, I mean, that was in June that we recorded it, and by December we we did a show at Kingsbury Hall, mm. and um, we were opening for John Schmidt, but we. Um, I think at that point I was like, like I had two, I, 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 I had two reactions to it. Part of me was like, wow. Yeah. It's you know, really quick. You know, they like it. They really like it. Sally Field. Yeah. <clears throat> Another part of me was like, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. You're right. This You're is just, right. this is part of the narrative that I had. The, what we already like knew. I, like I just, anyway. And it's really good. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I, it is. No, it You're was right. more like, this is what I was put on. This is why earth. I'm here. This is why I'm here. There's that nothing was, wrong that with that. That was the moment. No. This is why I'm here. This is what I was put on earth to do. When you went on stage at Kingsbury Hall. That was, was huge. Was huge. That, was that Peter Breinholt and Big Parade? Or was that Peter Breinholt and his band? Or was it just Peter Breinholt and you had well, a the, band? The core, so the core, <clears throat> there was a core group that only existed of two other guys. It was a trio. Yeah. And and that core had... had um, Basically, that was the band at the 
time. And then we brought in the drummer from my high school band, who was still around. Wow. And so maybe a four-piece. But the, the, the core of that recording of the album, mm-hmm. and even some of the songwriting, was were these two other guys. And yeah. so when we did the Kingsbury Hall, we were opening for a solo pianist. And so I didn't want to... We couldn't do drums. So we just did the trio. And... Um, I just, I remember like, <laughs> I mean, this happens along the way. There are little incremental yeah. steps, but every once in a while, this was definitely one of them where you're like, you look, you're looking at each other on stage and you're like, oh my gosh, can you believe this? It's happening. Yeah. It's happening. And I remember, this is, just a, this is just a side note, but I remember we, we sold more CDs than John did, that, but only because we were new. I mean, it was his show. Yeah. We were opening and we, we were kind of the thrust on this scene. And I so I remember I remember you know, I ran sure. into I ran into him like at the crossroads mall you know, a couple of days later and and um he's like, How many did you sell? I remember he, and I just um I felt like we had arrived. Yeah. John and I went to high school together. Yeah. We we have he, he we're brothers. We're he's brothers. And so terrific entertainer, we, amazing guy. And he was, um, I, I still kind of tribute him for. Well, he has inspired that was the launch. more kids. He has a gift for inspiring kids to get into music. I mean, I have kids who got excited about piano because of John. Oh, yeah. Mike's, my son plays them. And, yeah. and what's, what's interesting, and not to get sidetracked, but um, the, the, the high school, I went, I went to high, Highland High School and. They had this sort of unique tradition. I mean, all, all high schools have some version of an of an assembly, mm-hmm. but sure. but but this high school at the time we were there took it a step further, and it was like this is an exercise in for students and how to produce. Cool. And uh, you know that was my thing in high school. Yeah, I didn't play sports. That was my thing. Assemblies. And the reason I bring it up here is that. Um, just by letting students kind of have free reign doesn't didn't cost the district a dime yeah but it, but they they made it a priority this particular high school this particular tradition produced a lot of people you know i mean john both the piano guys steve went to the same school wow a few I, years later great. and um, john by the way was there matt really? townsend really? a lot of people wow. yeah and um Anyway, I just think that's yeah. it's a tangent, but I think that is something no, it's special. You, it's I important. think sometimes we make teaching of our younger generation harder than it needs to be. I think yeah. sometimes you maybe we should just Let be them giving them tools and an audience, a captive audience. Yeah. And so, anyway, the reason I brought that up is that John, and you can cut this stuff if you want, but I remember when I was a freshman, John was a senior, and it, almost every assembly. They would let, they'd say, now we're going to have a piano number from John Schmidt. And how cool. He was, he, he, he debuted Waterfall in, in a, really? I was there in the room in, in a wow. Highland Assembly. And he inspired even back then. And he was one of us. I mean, he wasn't yeah. like he was a professional performer. So cool. He was a, he was a kid in the hallway. <clears throat> I just think that's I think, a neat connection. Yeah. So you start playing. Were you? I guess my question, going back to when I brought up Big Parade, is: Were you always on as a solo artist? Like, was it always 
Peter Breinholt oh. from that point forward? <laughs> no. Or well, was it the Peter Breinholt band, or was it a band name? That was all. It's always a little, a little source for me. I um, I didn't want to. I wanted to be in a band. I wanted it to be a band. In high school, we were the Dobermans. I wanted yep. a band, and so our name was Big Parade. We had some other names that I kind of Big wish Parade is such a great name. I know, way. but I we had love some, Big Parade. We were Toe Jack Rodeo, and, and I kind of, uh, I, I kind of. Anyway, Big Parade came from the song "You Were Flowers." What about the Big oh, Parade? Oh yeah, okay. And it, so we were Big Parade. So when they introduced us for the Johnny Schmidt Show, it wasn't Peter Brinehold. It was, ladies and gentlemen, Big Parade, and. After it really started to take off, doing bigger and bigger mm-hmm. shows, my dad was the one, always my dad, the business mind, yeah. was always thinking. Marketing. He kind of persuaded me. He said, if you, got, if you put your name in here, then you're not dependent anymore. You can do solo shows. Yeah. And it's not, it's still building the brand. Sure. And so... I resisted it. I I didn't want to do it. I don't know how long. It may have been a whole year. But when we... Uh, well, no, I think by... No, it must have been in there. The, the, the deciding moment was the CD. When we had to do the artwork for the CD. And we just... it was Is it Peter Brinehill or is it Big Parade? Finally, we just compromised. It's Peter Brinehill and Big Parade. And yeah. now, you know, I don't even really use Big Parade anymore. In retrospect, it did kind of work because what happened is, you know, I had my two guys at Kingsbury Hall, but then within a month or two, we had added a keyboardist, yeah, and then sure. a drummer, and then a string, some string well, players. Well, it be flexible, right? And then then it got to the point where, like, you know, this guy over here kind of went went off to graduate school or whatever, so we brought in Ryan Shoup, put him there, and it was. I didn't know Ryan played with you guys. Ryan had a stretch where he was in the band. Really? And, yeah. <laughs> and anyway, so there was kind of a, you know, a first string and even, I mean, and if one guy couldn't make it, we called up the second yeah, string. And, and so the, yeah. the idea of it being a parade that's you know, a cool, that's of musicians a cool thing. worked. So we had Ryan on the show last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I always associate you and Ryan together. Do a lot of people do that? The, re- the reason yeah. I do, a little bit of history, though you don't remember, and neither will Ryan, but we all did a show, a uh, trade show, convention, whatever. Oh, yeah. The National Association of Campus Activities was the first NACA. time I met you. NACA. We did that. I was with the Garen's Comedy Troupe. We had a booth. You had a booth. And Ryan had a Or you and Ryan might have been We together. shared a booth. Yeah. So, so because of that, we shared a booth with Six Track, which was Abe, who went on to be Jericho Road. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so so Abe and, and me and one of the other Garens were in there pitching our comedy stuff, whatever. And that's when I first met you and Ryan. We were all on a plane together or something, or uh-huh. we came in together or something like that. Yeah. So I always think of you guys together, but I never knew if that was just me because I met you guys together, or do a lot of people, no, kind people of associate you and Ryan? Uh Here's how much people still do. I was inducted into my high school hall of fame, and and uh, so that meant I got a plaque on the wow, wall. Wow, that's awesome! And when I showed up, it was a, it was Peter Brandel, but the picture was Ryan Shoup. <laughs> my own high school. No way! They put in a picture of yeah, Ryan. Somebody was in charge of getting the picture, and they just Googled it, I guess, and they got 
<laughs> so oh, so, I, so I tried. I was like, last minute, I was like, I, call, I called Ryan. Ryan, I'm performing at this assembly where they're inducting me. you got to come down here because you're on the flag. You're on the picture. In the flag. <laughs> so hilarious. Um, okay, so it's not just me. No, I, uh, I think, I think uh, there was probably from about 1995 all the way to maybe 2004, right about the time he got signed to yeah. Capitol, where he was um, at every show. And and, awesome. and and for a lot of people, the Sundance shows that la- that were from mm-hmm. 1997. I mean, we still do them. We did one this year, but it, it but but the real run was from 97 till about 2004. Okay. And Ryan probably played, uh, you know, all of them or almost all yeah. of them. And for a lot of people, and he, we'd always have him do a song, like, and it was that that point it was his. Uh, early first two albums, so it was songs like "Sin Repellent" and yeah, and and uh, "Dream Big." I know "Dream Big," yeah. So sure. there was always a, a Ryan moment, yeah. But then once once they got with the label, it just didn't wasn't yeah. didn't make sense. sense. So taking it from there, so now you're you're Peter Breinholt. Now you're getting known. You're selling out big shows. You're touring, I assume. Yeah, we we didn't we we you know in in contrast to Ryan who would set out and do a run of, you know, they'd, they'd hit North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Yeah. We would fly out and do one or two shows and fly back. We never got the tour bus. We never did that. Yeah. Um, and even those shows were somehow connected to Utah always. Oh, so we, we have always been a Utah act. And yeah. I mean, I just did Baltimore last week, but who put it on? But the BYU Alumni Association yeah. in Baltimore. So it's kind of it's always other places via Utah. Always, and whereas Ryan um, had a he has a circuit outside yeah, of he's got Utah. That it's the Bluegrass Festival, bluegrass, whatever it's the Bluegrass yeah. Circuit. Very cool. But so yes, we, there were there was some traveling, but I never did as much as as a lot of the acts, which yeah. um, I didn't mind. Yeah, because um, well, eventually we'll get to me getting married so let, let's let, let's jump to this you're 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 touring and or i mean around utah you're recording you're writing how did you end up meeting your wife and when uh well before this all happened i had been in, in part of i had kind of a group of college friends no. um so so i went up with my friends to see our our friends band but it was a it was a 21 and older venue or 18 and older yeah. I don't know how it works and sure and um, all of our all these girls show up and there's this younger sister there who I knew wasn't old enough to be in there <laughs> yeah and and it was Becca and they had they had gotten, gotten her an ID yeah. and she was in there just to see because she knew the band yeah. with her sister that's where we met and um, anyway we we knew each other uh but it wasn't for, I mean, she was in high school. A few years later, yeah. this sister that I'd hung around with was marrying one of the other people from this group. And cool. they, at the wedding dinner, by this point, Becca is in college. Yeah. And we, we sat by each other and mm. just talked the whole night. And what year was that? That would have been, <clears throat> that would have been 96. Yeah. Uh, 95, December 95, and then 96, we started, no, I'm sorry, December 94, 
And, uh, and then in 95, we started dating. And then in 96, she decided to go on a mission. Oh, wow. She went to Scotland. Very cool. And then, and then she gets home in 97, and we got married five months later. So. What is the age difference between you? Six years. Yeah. We have the same birthday. No way. Yeah, but six years different. So. Same birthday. Yeah. That makes it fun to celebrate. Yeah, it's like... That's really cool. An anniversary. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> that's really neat. So when, once you got married, how did that affect your career? Or did um, it? It did. Um, I, I, uh, the, in the, the first thing I noticed was, you know, for years we had been, all of us had been single. And so... I don't know if that played into the show, but we, you know, we would always, after every show, end up at Denny's or somewhere yeah. with a with a big crowd of people, big a group. big group, yeah. big group of people, and so constantly meeting people. And um, anyway, one by one, as we started getting married, that uh, that kind of ended, and I think our schedules changed. Sure. And 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 so the performing stayed the same, but my writing had to suddenly start being sort of scheduled a little more. Like so, it become more of a business, a little bit more of a structure to it. Like, yeah. okay, if I'm going to write, um, you know, I don't want to do it at night. Like I remember writing the song "Sweetly Sleeps," yeah, and it was I had a breakthrough. I'm recording it, and I had one of those like. It's happening. Okay, this, this is, is it. This is great. The chorus just fell into place. Yeah. And I remember, like, right then, Becca was waiting because we were going to go to dinner. Mm. And, and I was like, okay, well, I got to put this aside. And, and luckily, I was able to come back. And, but when you're single yeah. and living with a, a, you know, some guys, I owned a house, a sugar house, and I had roommates. And yeah. that, I just, I'd finish the song right then. So I had to start structuring that. And I think, too, one other dimension is that Becca, um, you know, Becca didn't sign up. Like, she, like I, I was the kid who was drawing pictures of the monkeys when I was little and, and felt like this was my destiny. Yeah. And so I had, all, you know, that time to kind of grow into it. And then when we get married, she kind of had to step into this world a little bit and mm -hmm. I and I know she she's kind of an introverted person to begin with and I I remember I remember watching her and feeling like you know this this is kind of hard yeah. because she she felt like people were watching her all of a sudden right like oh you know Pete just got married we're at a show at Sundance she's backstage and you got a ton she of people felt like around people are you. watching her so how many children do you guys have we have four Four children. What are the age ranges? Eight to seven. What's that? Eight. 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 I mean, sorry. Not eight. <laughs> That's like, not funny. Four children we have between five, the ages of eight We have four seven. kids between I like, eight I know seven. you have an older one than that. Eighteen to 18 seven. Eighteen to seven. Eighteen years old to so, seven. Eighteen. So, you, I mean, you've been at this raising children for 18 years. How do you balance being Peter Breinholt, the performer, Peter Breinholt, the dad, Peter Breinholt, you were in a bishopric? I was, yeah. Uh, I mean, all these roles... How do you make them all very good make sense? Is it is it a struggle for you to balance? Um, yeah, I I, um, I feel like I have. I think I feel like what is probably 
Okay, so I'm going to use the analogy you'll sometimes hear David Bednar use, where he he he, he says basically balance is a myth, like the balance, mm. keeping all the balls in the air. And the analogy he prefers is these old circus performers where they have they're spinning like four plates yeah. on their arm with the with the sure with the sticks. Yeah. And he said, if you watched how they do it, they're not spinning all the plates at once. They'll, they'll, one will start to wobble, and so they'll put all their attention on that one and spin that, mm. and, then, and then another one will start to wobble, and so they focus all their attention on that. And he said, that's a better metaphor for how, how we really live our lives. And so if applying that to my life, the plate that wobbles the most that I probably spin the least now is music. Yeah. I feel like um, music has taken, my career has probably taken. Do you, do you feel like you got what you needed out of it? And now it can just be whatever you, you want it to be. Like, you know, you've, you've had some, some pretty big songs, some Mm -hmm. big albums. Yeah. You have huge crowds still that want to come see you. You get recognized. I mean, you're a star. Do you feel like now that's kind of checked off? Like the, do you, I, or I'm do you feel like minds. there's somewhere that's still to go? I'm like, of two minds. Is there another peak? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, and when I say I have two minds, it means uh, on Monday I feel one way and on Tuesday I feel sure. the next. Okay. There's yeah. two parts of me. Split personality. Yeah. And on the one hand... Um, I had enough of a taste of celebrity and success and sort of the kind of craziness around it that I, I think I learned pretty quickly, you know, yeah. this doesn't really fill my, fill, fill my uh, soul. This is like, yeah. I think in our culture, uh, all, everybody kind of, wants to be famous or thinks that if they were famous sure. and rich, then they'd be happy. And I, I, you know, I was a, you know, big fish in a small pond. It was just a, a mild version of this, but mm. it was enough of a version for me that I was like, you know, this, the, it, it, it I, when I was in it, I kind of wanted to be out of it. I, like yeah. I told you before the interview, I was kind of like, sense. I just want to go, ride my bike up, yeah. up the canyon and I just want to sure so there's that part of me mm-hmm. and that part of me kind of I, I feel like is healthy because it kind of drove me to some of the um, it kind of drove me back into the seeking nature of yeah, mine which is great which I think really is what does fill my soul sure so I, I the other part I, but then on the next day yeah um there's still that part of me that that looks at what I do and that remembers that kid that drew those pictures mm. and that feels like um you know i I have more to do and mm. i and i haven't i you know I've fallen a little bit short in some ways like mm, i had all I had all this potential I feel like people are nice there's but I do have people that are like you know you should be a you should be a national act or you should you should yeah. You know, you're good. And and when they say it, there's a part of me that's like, I know. <laughs> so last question. When you look back at all this, 
you know, I mean, I, I see you as kind of at a midway point. You know, you've, you've had this big rise. You put your focus in the right places, which is in competition a little bit mm-hmm. with all the performing. For everything. sure. What role has your membership in the church played in all of this? What, what can you look back and say, okay, maybe if I had not had the church or been a member of the church, or maybe that's too big of a question. But what do you see that that's brought to your life? Um, I, I, I feel like the journey continues. I, you said that before that it's, you know, it's, I'm, I'm in a different place than I was when I was 22 and I, when yeah. I was in 22, I was a different place than when I was 12. Sure. And, um, <clears throat> but I think as I look back on, on, on it, where, where I see like maybe the biggest value came was when I went from being, um, like I said, this kind of seeker, this kid who who had felt certain feelings and was trying to repeat those and and, and, and find the source of those and, and yeah. have my heart changed and softened. But it was kind of a chaotic, you know, version of that as a yeah. teenager primarily because um i was kind of doing it on my own i yeah. mean i w- i i was i was going to church kind of when i wanted right but i wasn't getting it at home so it was a little bit chaotic and then and then i step into this very structured missionary world right and at first it was sti- i it was i felt like it was like too much structure yeah compared to what I was used to. But in the end, it brought great shape and order and discipline and community to all that seeking I was doing. Yeah. So I still considered that like maybe the biggest value. I feel like I'm kind of in a place now where my, you know, um, I, I'm still a little free-spirited. Yeah. And my seeking is still 90%... Um, independent i mean i'm i'm what i mean by that i don't want to be misunderstood yeah um and i said this in the other one i i kind of my my wife said like we had a um a conversation once about you know how we spend our time and she said that she'd come to terms with the fact that she married you know the story of mary martha she married a mary yeah, I, I I'm I'm yeah. the guy. I just want to sit at the. I'm not I'm not I'm not very good at helping in the kitchen. I want to go up Mill Creek Canyon and write my journal. And I'm still yeah. just very much a seeker in that way. And um, but if you just you know I understand that if you just completely are on your own, you're capable of drifting. You're capable yeah. of um. You know, there's a sort of. A, collective experience that presents all these service opportunities and i see the value of that yeah but i still am 90 percent just kind of yeah. you know i don't want to say a loner but i'm yeah and sure so i it it, it it in answer to your question it it the structure provides 
shape for me. Yeah. For a guy that kind of lives in his right brain a little bit, and uh, it, it provides structure for me. I mean, I'm, I'm fully capable of just going into the mountains and living out my spiritual life there. Yeah. But it's good for a guy like me to have it pulls you. a little bit of sh- yeah. discipline, I think. Well, this was a great conversation. Let's, let's wrap it up by talking about your concerts coming up. You're part of Light the World. Oh, yeah. That's I love. why we're here. I forgot that's about that. why we're that. here. Hashtag Light the World. <laughs> we got into some deep stuff. But hashtag Light the World. Uh, this is a big deal. We've talked about it before. This is, the church has launched it, but it's for, they're partnering with all kinds of other denominations and service groups yeah. and all kinds of entertainers and leaders. Tell us what uh, Light the World is. Well, I, I think last year was the first year, and I was aware of it last year, but I didn't really follow it. Yeah. Um, guy that lives around the corner right here is the creative director. Is He's one of the main guys mm. with it. And wow. so And so I got a lot from him. Yeah. And um, apparently it was a, a very, very powerful and effective campaign That's last year. That's what I heard, yeah. And so, they've, so they're not only doing it again they're going to do it again next year. But this year, when it was presented to me, uh, it was what they said was, this is not about turning people into Mormons. This is a, yeah. this is a larger humanitarian right. campaign. This is about maybe getting to the essence of the holiday season, yeah. which is love and service. Right. But maybe maybe the thing that got me when it was presented was they said we're we're trying to inspire people to do those good works to bring the spirit of christmas back into our lives without adding just another thing to your checklist we right. want this to be um simple we want this to be as much about an attitude as it is about actions and you know i said i can completely get behind that and and you know, so so I'm one of I don't know how many performers. Yeah, they're quite a few. It's big, big names. Yeah, so we're kind of part, we're under the Light the World umbrella. I this is now this is a show. This isn't a show Light the World initiated. I've been doing these Christmas shows for a long right. time, but I said I'm happy to um, step into the Light the World campaign and use my shows in that way. And so what it means is. You know, you'll be seeing the logo on our promotion, yeah. but then during the show itself, um, I'll talk a little bit about it. And there may be a presence there. For example, Quarters for Christmas is yeah. probably going to have a booth out in the lobby, um, which, you know, we say go out and serve. And then you walk out and here is a desk and a a table and a, yeah. a real, you know, there's a real call to action. You can step right yeah. into it if you want. That's good. So we're going to do a little bit of that, and I, you know, I'm always, I'm always for it's awesome stuff like that. Very cool. Where, where can people see you? So these these shows are going to be at the Rose Wagner Theater downtown Salt Lake, December fifteenth, sixteenth. But there's a matinee, so there's three shows. I'm not. We may add a fourth. We're going to really? we're going to know no. this Friday. Um, what are the dates again? December 15th and 16th. Okay. And if and, people and want more info on this, where do they go? I, I think the best is to go to arttix.org, which is, that's the ticket outlet online that does Capital and the Eccles and Abravanel gotcha. and Rose Wagner. 
and three five five arts is their phone number. You just go there. I think. I mean, our yeah. website has it. I no. may, maybe Facebook. If you go to Peter Brian Holt yeah. Christmas, you'll pull up the event page. Very That's cool. uh, and then we're doing, you know, we're doing the rounds. We're gonna do the awesome. FM one hundred mini concert. I'm doing in, interviews and podcasts and all kinds of stuff. It's awesome. You're getting the word out. It's great. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's a fascinating story that's going to require some editing. So sorry I kept you so long, but it's really fascinating. Just so, don't make me sound like this. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, I will not do that. <laughs> that I promise you. So I uh, encourage all of our listeners to go out and see Peter live. I've gotten to see you live, which is a cool experience and uh, highly, highly recommend it. Peter, thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks. My special thanks to our guest, Peter Breinholt. What a fantastic guy. You know, he is just, he's a true artist. When you talk to him, he just has this way of thinking and this way of looking at the world that's just fascinating. And I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It made for a lot of editing, a lot of work editing. I tried to leave in the the story as complete as it could be so that you could really get to know Peter. And I just really appreciate it. So Peter, thank you very much. Uh, This week in my Latter-day Life I want to tell you, we we started kind of getting ready for Christmas now that Thanksgiving's over, and it got me thinking back to um, this Christmas when I was on my mission. It was my second Christmas on my mission, and uh, I was with just an amazing companion, such a good guy, Elder Truman, who is one of my best friends in the world. In fact, uh, I was best man at his wedding, he was best man at mine, and we were out there in the field. And in Chile, they celebrate Christmas primarily on Christmas Eve. Christmas Day isn't as big of a deal. But Christmas Eve, usually late, oftentimes midnight. Families will wait until midnight to celebrate. And then around midnight, they get out food and ha- uh, pass gifts to each other, 10, 11 at night, whatever. And that's when they celebrate, and that's how they celebrate. And it was Christmas Eve. We were told to work a half day, which we had. And, and then we had the rest of the day off. Uh, and we were really excited. We had no plans, but we were just going to hang out and have a nice evening. And we went and got the mail. And Elder Truman opened up his letter, and in it, uh, his girlfriend sent him a little note saying that uh, she felt like she needed to focus on other things, and uh, maybe not write as much, and certainly cool things off. Well, let me tell you how well that goes over for a missionary on Christmas Eve. (laughs) And so Truman was none too thrilled with this, and uh, I opened up my letter from a girl that I had been dating, and in the middle of the letter, she dropped some guy's name I had never heard before, about how they had been hanging out, and I was not a big fan of this, and we both got these letters on Christmas Eve. And this kind of put us in the wrong mood, but we went up to teach, and we were really not in a great mood. We went up to teach some uh, some people that were going to be coming up to the chapel, for their discussion, and we waited, and waited, and waited until we got stood up. So here we've gotten these lousy letters. We've gotten stood up. We we got stood up by the uh, investigators. I mean, this Christmas was just falling apart. We were in such bad moods. And that night, we had been invited over. There was a young lady 
uh, who had gotten baptized, and she was just a stalwart. I mean, just an incredible member of the church, and her parents were not members. And she was excited because her parents had actually asked if we would like to come over. So we were invited over to their house. But I'll tell you, we were just in no mood to be with people. We got back to the house we lived in. Now, in southern Chile, we live in what were called pensions, pensiones. We lived in a house with some people. We basically just rented out a room. And I was so upset that I jumped on my bed. Now, I'm a large man now. I was a lot thinner then. But I jumped on my bed, and suddenly we heard a boom. And I thought, oh, no, I broke the bed. And I climbed off the bed, and I looked down, and no, I had not broken the bed. I had broken the floor. (laughs) I had literally punctured a hole in the floor, and you could see down into the kind of cellar below. It wasn't even a basement, but you could look right through the floor. Now, the lady who owned the house we lived with, we knew she was not going to be amused. She was on us all the time about making noise or about, you know, being messy or whatever. Sweet lady. But let me just tell you, we knew how upset she was going to be. At this point, Truman and I were in as foul of moods as could possibly be. And we were so bugged that we were going to have to go to this family's house because, you know, we just, we felt like they were taking pity on us and we just kind of wanted to just hang out. And it was just terrible. As we went over to this family's house, We were just nothing but griping, nothing but complaining and upset and, hey, let's make it quick. And then we walked into their house. And as soon as we walked in, their house was decorated so beautifully with lights and with Christmas music playing. And immediately they gave us presents and they got out the most incredible food and had kind of a little program for us. And there was this love in the room. And here it was. We're spending the evening with a family that had no interest in our mission, you know, to, to go out and preach the gospel, but they had so much love for us. And all I can say is it completely wiped everything away. And, uh, I think elder Truman wouldn't mind me sharing that we both got so choked up that we were a little bit teary, so touched by all the effort and work that these people had put into making sure that we had a great Christmas There was incredible joy. Christmas is a special time. It's magical. Peter and I talked a little bit about Light the World. The Light the World calendar is now up. You can check it out on mormon.org. What will you do for Christmas this year? We need to light the world. That family lit the world that night and changed my life. Light the World, one of the things I love about it is it's not about going out and you personally changing the world or lighting the entire world yourself. It's about you going out and doing something to light someone's world. And if enough of us do that, we will light the world. And I'm just so thankful to that. And Truman and I still, when we get together, sometimes we we still talk about that being one of the best Christmases ever. What will you do to change somebody's life and make the world just a little bit better and light the world this Christmas? So that's all for my Latter-day Life. And that is all for the show. Uh, Again, we've got great concerts coming up. Next week, we have another guest from the uh, Light the World campaign. Remember, as you go out and do these incredible works or just pictures of your family, whatever it is that you're doing to make the world a better place, hashtag light the world. And again, go to mormon.org to check out the calendar. We're so grateful to be partnered with uh, this incredible initiative by the church. Uh, There will be show notes, as always, on uh, latterdaylives.com every week. 
we put up show notes from the show. So anything that we talk about, you can click on it and and check it out. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we love it. Twitter, we are Latterday underscore lives. Facebook, we're facebook.com slash Latterday Lives podcast. And Instagram, Latter underscore day underscore lives. Really, if you search Latterday Lives on any of these, you will find it. I'll tell you one thing that would really make for a great Christmas for me is if you could share the show. We are growing, and it's a lot of fun uh, to see new listeners and new followers every week. But the more we share the show or the more listeners that we get, the more we show up and people who are looking for good Mormon content, uh, or at least uh, LDS faith-based, I should say, content like our show, um, they, they, they can find it. So the more people that listen to us, the more easy it is for other people to find. So if you enjoy it, gosh, if you can think of someone you can share it with, share the website, or maybe show them how to access a podcast, we always appreciate it. If you want to reach out to me, I can be reached at Sean at LatterdayLives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com. And again, the show can be found on Apple Podcasts and uh, on Stitcher, on uh, Tune In, sorry, uh, and on Player FM. So uh, please, it's available all these places. Please share it with somebody if you can. And again, next week, we've got another Light the World guest that we're really excited to share with you. And so until next week, as always, keep in mind that there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 